0: Hello and welcome to CIO Leadership Live Australia. I'm Cathy O'Sullivan, Editor-in-Chief for CIO in APAC. My guest today is Noel Toll, Chief Information Officer at DPV Health. Noel is one of our CIO 50 Australia alumni, and it's a pleasure to have him on the podcast today. Hi, Noel. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, Cathy. Thanks for having me on this session. Appreciate it. Great.
0: Great, great to chat to you again. Um, so can, firstly, can you give us an overview of DPV Health and what you and your team look after there?
1: Yeah, sure can. So, DPV Health is a, a community health service in Victoria. So, uh, think it was in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. We provide across twenty sites. Provide everything from medical to so GP services, nursing, through the whole range of allied health. That's been, um, you know, things like podiatry, dietetics physiotherapy, those sort of things. A whole range of public dental. We've got one of the biggest public dentals in the state uh, with four different practices for that. We also have disability, so both a, a day service and supported accommodation. We do a lot now in the mental health space as well. So it's a pretty diverse sort of platform we deal with. We support NDIS and home care packages as well as block funded, so it's quite a bit there. And what my team does, my directorate, Um, My directorate's a bit diverse. So I've got a data team, an ICT operations team for my core ICT functions, and then um, what you call a CIO plus, I think is what they name me these days. Um, The additional part is non-ICT team. So my directorate also looks after uh, language services, which is interpreting intake, which is like the call centre and referral processing for people wanting appointments, and then all of the reception slash Admin across all 20 sites. So it's ended up being quite a diverse sort of um, thing that we have to look after. So to look after cybersecurity, look after all the data, look after the day-to-day help desk and then run all the ICT um, projects.
0: Huge range of customers and a huge range of services there that you're you're looking after, and I love the fact that you're a CIO plus. That's that's great to hear. So with all of that, then you know how do you approach innovation within your ICT department, especially when it comes to I guess those new technologies like AI, Internet of Things, automation. How do you approach innovation?
1: Well, I must say one of the first things I did when I when I came into the role. Was I renamed this from the director from ICT, and I called it Technology Solutions, and and that's to set the culture and the thinking for the, both the business and for the ICT function. So the innovation for us is really about solving problems. So what's the what's the business need, or what's the opportunities that we're trying to solve? And so instead of just chasing innovation for innovation's sake to say oh we're using AI or we're doing automations, it's about what's the underlying problems that we need to fix what does the business need and that's what we seek to resolve look to provide a solution with these innovations so a lot of it now is about you keep getting new technologies coming through it's about understanding what those technologies can provide how do they really work and what's the potential unintended consequences of rolling that out I think that's a really important thing before leaping is we're trying to understand what actually could happen that isn't what you want. It's like not a good consequence. So we like to pilot things. Pilot's a really good way for us to sort of try something out in a small way, see how that innovation works, learn, and then we can go redo it. If it's a good one, we can go and redo that on a bigger scale, but with all those learnings. So it's really about, you know, understanding the innovations properly ourselves, particularly AI, it's something we are putting a lot of work into at the moment and then preparing ourselves for that. So everything we do in a transformation sense is about preparing for the next set of innovations and making sure we've got a good foundation. And so if we innovate, we want to build on that one and just keep building, so we're solid all the time. And that's really the approach we've taken to um, innovations.
0: Now, Healthcare is a challenged sector, but when it comes to IT, what do you think are, I guess, some of the most significant challenges for IT leaders and how do you address them?
1: I I could be pretty certain that um, most senior ICT leaders in healthcare would say it's a lack of interoperability between our systems. So like many health organisations, we've got siloed uh, medical records. So clients will come to us for... Dental, they're in one system, they come for the GPs are in another, allied health might be another, et cetera. There's a end up with a number of systems. And so even within an organization, lots of healthcare organizations don't have a single view of the client. We see a client as a dental client or an allied health client, et cetera. We don't, we don't get to see them as a whole client. So that holistic view of a of a client to treat them. And then that issue is sort of compounded in healthcare in that we don't then have good sharing of that information with other health services. So the acute sector being hospitals doesn't have good visibility with community health and vice versa. So we're looking after the same clients, the same patients, but we don't have good visibility of that. So we really need data sharing, capabilities. So we've been working pretty hard on this. We've just launched the CRM. And the CRM is to create that single client view. So we pull in the data from all the underlying medical record systems to create a single view. And in the first instance, we've done that as a digital front door to the organisation. So when you call up and you want an appointment, we will now know that you've already got an appointment booked for a GP on a Wednesday. So if we go to offer you an appointment for a podiatrist, of course, we'd like to match that. So we're creating... On that digital front door perspective, a single view of you as a client, Um, and then we can build that out over time to be across the the clinical side as well. But the other bit we're doing is we're working with um, one of the major hospitals in our area to actually develop a framework for data sharing because we really want to be able to, to share that information with them so we can drive better health outcomes for clients, and we'll do that by understanding the client's journey across primary care, which is community health, and the acute sector. So we've got a working group on that. We're also advocating with the Department of Health to improve interoperability, and there is things happening in that space generally. I think one of our major issues is we're finally getting a health information exchange, which is great, but it's not going to deliver what we need for another four or five years. It's going to be a slow rollout. But in the meantime, we're working on doing these um things with the uh, acute sector ourselves. And we're also really have been moving heavily to adopt health-specific data-sharing standards like FHIR. We already had HL7, but we're really pushing to get FHIR in where it's possible and where it makes sense. So that's in that whole, that whole client view. And then every health organisation, I think, has an issue with cybersecurity and privacy. Um, we know so- that...
0: So just yeah. on that because you know it is it is absolutely you know fundamental obviously pay, pay, sharing that data is great but you know people want to know that this data is safe and secure particularly after some of the recent breaches we we've had here in Australia so what role does cybersecurity play in in healthcare IT and and how do you ensure that you know security and privacy is is fundamental when it comes to patient data
1: Yes absolutely it's a really um important thing for us and we we we've noted that the World Economic Forum they listed healthcare as the third most targeted sector for cyber attacks in 2023 so we've we've been moving up the list and i think during the pandemic there was a big increase in the number of attacks on health organizations which is pretty sad given we were going through a pandemic but clearly they found us to be a really good target we have very valuable personally identifiable data. And one of the things that we're focused on is that um, you see different stats, but I know SailPoint said that 59% of healthcare breaches actually came from compromised credentials. And I think it's around 60-plus percent across the whole, 63 or something, for, for all sectors. So that means that that's really one of our big attack vectors now is they're coming in through those successful phishing attacks getting people's credentials and then coming into our system as one of us so we traditionally used to trust our own staff and now we can't do that anymore hence why we put in a zero trust model you have to assume a breach you have to assume that you've been compromised and therefore those internal controls on what your users can do are even more important it's almost like having a inside a risk perspective to say that every single user, every day logged into your system could go and do something that will compromise the, the privacy of the, the information you store. And so we've got a lot of controls around around doing that now. Um, you know, the Australian Digital Health Agency noted in 2022 that 70% of healthcare organisations have reported ransomware attacks that actually impacted their Tests and procedures, and they noted there was an increase in mortality from it. So, like it's a, it's a serious problem. So, one of the other things we've done is introduced um, a process to do third-party risk assessment. So we know that a lot of the big sort of hacks now happen from actually third parties. So you do a really good job on your own security, but then the third-party product you're using, they get they get breached, they get hacked, they get um, compromised code. And so for us, doing those assessments on those third parties has been really important. And one of the things that I'm really moving towards now is I really quite like these breach and attack simulation tools because we've always focused on vulnerability assessments and we tend to do, I use two, so our organisation is a bit paranoid and we use two different ones because one system doesn't always find all the vulnerabilities, so use the second one. And traditionally we would have said, oh, if there's a critical one, we fix those first. But actually looking at the way that attacks happen in the path that they follow, and these attack uh, breach and attack simulation tools can really show you that using the latest attack methods. And you can run these things every week, every day if you want to. Um, It shows you the path. And once you see the path, you, you realize the critical might be five layers down in the attack path. So actually it's not the most important thing to fix the most important thing to fix might be the low because the low let them start the attack. And so we're really focused on on doing that. And then again, AI, we can't get away from it, but it's a great tool for us to help with that overload of signals that we get. And so we use AI to also help um, do some of the monitoring and some of the automatic response. And then because we know if I was a hacker, I'd be hacking people um, on weekends and public holidays. And that's just what you do when they don't have ICT people around, so we do have a security operations center that runs twenty four seven just to keep an eye on things. So, been a fair bit we've been doing in that cyber yeah. security space.
0: It, it never stops, does it? You can never sleep when it comes to <laughs> cyber security. And of course, look, cyber security can be, you know, it can take up a huge chunk of budget. You know, I know it's it's a huge focus for CIOs worldwide. And we've talked in the past, and you've highlighted that you think cybersecurity should actually have a separate budget to the overall IT budget. What's your thinking on that?
1: Yeah, so I've, I've <laughs> it is something I'm I'm a bit passionate about actually. I you know cybersecurity is is a major risk. The the Aon um, group who do the insurance say that they did a global risk management survey. And, and they said that the number one risk for organisations globally is ransomware attacks um, or cybersecurity incidents. And that ransomware attacks themselves have increased by 176% in the first half of 2023. So this is, cybersecurity is absolutely needed because we're all under attack. And so I see cybersecurity as being a central requirement of opening your doors. So you need to hire staff, you need to pay for a, an office, for a factory, for whatever it might be to run your business. You also need cybersecurity. If you don't have cybersecurity, you can't open your doors because you won't you won't survive. So it's an essential part. And I think we need to treat it that way. When I'm talking to lots of CISOs and other CIOs saying, you know, how are you going with this and how much do you spend on it? And often I hear the comment, um, oh yeah, our cybersecurity spend is 10% of our ICT budget. And I just don't think that's the right way to go. And I've had this discussion with external auditors. Um, ICT budgets move up and down. You know, we know at times like this, uh, people are cutting into their ICT budgets in in many organisations just because of the cost pressures. Um, You know, the economic environment makes it difficult. But the minute you have cybersecurity attached to the ICT budget and you have to reduce your ICT spend, You're automatically reducing your risk mitigation for cybersecurity. And I don't think that's a great idea. I mean, you can reduce your headcount for an ICT team and make it longer for you to do a help desk ticket, right? So maybe it takes three days longer, a week longer to respond to a help desk ticket. It's not the end of the world. There's a bit of a drop in service quality for your end users, but an organization might accept that in, in the short term while they while they get through. Um, the financial state until things improve and they go rehire again. But you can't do that with cybersecurity. We can't suddenly pull some money out of the cybersecurity budget and say, um, oh, it's okay. No, because you've just increased the risk. The risk doesn't go away just because you're you're needing to reduce your budget. So I think for boards, isn't it great if a board could actually see how much does the organisation spend on cybersecurity and then make an assessment against the industry, against the sector you're in, how much do people pay for that? And then the board can decide, do we want to pay more because we take it more seriously than the average, or are we prepared to cut a little bit on that, but we still think we've got a good balance? I would much prefer auditors to come in and assess us on whether or not we've made good use of the cybersecurity budget in a separate bucket across all of the different elements of a framework, like if you pick NIST for instance, and you you looked at all the elements of that, have we spread that money out? Have we used it wisely? Have we got some gaps where we haven't spent? I would prefer that than to come in and say, are oh, you um, do an assessment and go, are oh, you missing a bit of paperwork here, or you haven't done as much on this area when you know that you're capped by the budget. So I prefer to set the budget manage to that, do the best you can, and say this is what we spend as insurance to mitigate the risk.
0: Now, a bit of a segue here, but another, you know, cybersecurity is obviously um, super important to CIOs, but one other thing that's also really important is having a great team. And um, I mean I'm just really keen to hear from you on you know what your strategies are around f- fostering that really collaborative and and productive IT team with, within your organization.
1: Yeah, so I I often talk about respect and I I think it's really I think it's really important. So I think as a as a leader I need to respect my teams and the people who work in my teams and I think they they need to really have respect for each other. So there's different functions within ICT. And and I think those functions need to respect each other because we're part of a we're part of a bigger team. I was talking about it being like football. We want to win the grand final, but to win the grand final, we've all got to do our our part. And I've never seen a team win a football final without the defense being really good and the offense being really good. And and you know. And Australian rules, if you think midfield, like all the elements need to really gel, support each other to deliver on the outcome. So respecting each other within that IT function for what we each do is really important. So you can't be the network engineer and think that the data guys are no good because they don't understand network engineering. You have to respect them for the great knowledge they've got in the data, and they should respect you for the network. So that starts to build a good team environment And then the focus is on what are we doing? Why are we working? What's the goal? And that's my job is to say, here's the goal. We want to deliver on what the business needs and be very clear on that. So we've obviously got an org strategy. And so we can look at that. We can say, how are we going to deliver on that? And if I define that properly, the team knows where we're heading and that's what we go for. And then the other part is, again, respect, but respect for the people that we're we're serving, the people we're providing the ICT service to. So we need to be careful that just because we're really good at ICT, um, that we don't forget that people are really good at podiatry or being a GP or being a dentist, etc. So if we can be respectful to them, then they will collaborate with us because if we don't make them feel silly because they don't know some IT acronym and they don't understand exactly how a network works, So just just
0: broadening that out then, Noel, um, I mean, what kind of communication strategies do you use then when you're bridging that gap between, you know, technical IT language, what your network engineers are talking about, or your security teams are talking about, and the understanding of those non-technical stakeholders, you know, and again, very diverse groups within your organization. So, so what kind of comm strategies do you put in place?
1: Yeah, it's a really um, interesting one, isn't it? So I think acronyms are the thing, you know, all different sort of professional groupings fall back on our acronyms. And IT is probably one of the worst. We have so many. Um, And I'm terrible for it myself. I try to be really good and not use them, but we just naturally fall into it. So... It's easy when I'm writing something because when we're writing it, we can try to put in brackets what the actual description is so we can say the whole thing. So CGN, people go, what's a CGN? It's clinical-grade network. So we can make it a bit simpler that way. I also find stories are quite good. So, like, recently I wanted to give um, people an example in the organisation of the risk of some of these scams that are now happening um, where people are pretending to be the CEO and make you get gift cards or something and rather than trying to talk about that in a technical way I just put together a story I actually had gone through with a a scammer and, and copied the conversation and then I showed that conversation and explained it a little bit in an email and that story was a great way to explain what was happening without people needing to get bogged down in the technical elements of how we deal with these things so Stories are a good way. And just talking generally, like the more we talk to our end users around the problem from their perspective and tell them, don't worry about the technical bits. Just talk to us about your problem. What are you trying to achieve? Don't worry about the technical. We'll work that out after. I think the more we have that kind of conversation, the easier it is for people instead of talking about network. I mean, that's really for us to talk about an ICT land between ourselves. They don't need to know that. They just need to know that we understand their problem. And then we can say in general in general overview, oh, so if I set this up for you, you get to click one, two or three, will that work for you? And they say, yes, that's all they need to know. They don't need to know the underlying tech to make that happen. So we just try to simplify it for people.
0: So, Noel, you've got a very busy role as CIO at DPV Health. So how do you free up time and make sure that you stay updated with industry trends and emerging technologies, you know, to make those informed decisions for, for DPVs um, IT initiatives?
1: Yeah, there, look, there is a, a lot to keep up with. It's um, it's constantly changing. The pace is, is very rapid. But I find LinkedIn is, is really good. Um, I've really been broadening out my LinkedIn network and connecting with lots of really interesting people. And what you find from that is you get lots of really good posts, some really insightful posts. And you also get to see the trends because you see which sort of things are coming up all the time. Now, obviously, at the moment, there's a lot of um, generative AI coming up. And so it's useful to be able to see the varied points of view on that because there is different points of view. So that's a great way to do it. And then when you see those trends, then I can go off and I can look at other news sources. So I I use um, a news aggregation tool and I select a whole lot of different IT um, sort of, you know, magazines and different sources of information. Then it aggregates that for me and I can sort through those and see which ones are useful. And actually it's an AI-based one so you can train it and so it learns what you like to see. And so I find that's really useful. Watching YouTube videos, Going to vendor events such as Microsoft Ignite, I love it. It's just overwhelming the amount of information I can get from that. I've been very blessed that I've been um, doing quite a few speaking engagements representing DPV Health. And in doing that, I'm getting to to network with other great um, speakers. I'm getting to hear their thoughts and I'm learning from them and seeing the other presentations. And they've been really good and really helpful. And I do also attend some of those um, different dinner events, different events or lunch events that people host where you get a, different people around a table and you really learn a lot from your peers. So for me, that's really important. And then based on what I'm hearing, I can go off and do my own sort of research. So that's sort of some of the ways that I, I keep up to date with what's the latest initiatives. And, and more importantly, sometimes, the latest idea on these on these new innovations and things that are coming through, um, and sometimes people are really good at highlighting the risks or the things you need to consider. So it's a great way to do it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Hearing from peers, those uh, warts and all stories of what went well and what went wrong is uh, is always beneficial, isn't it? Always so then. Beautiful. So then, Noel, um, you know, not, a few, not long left in 2023. What's important to you as we head into 2024?
1: Yeah, well, I could say it's going to be a very busy time. So for us, because we've just launched the CRM, we really need to keep building that out. And, um, you know, the single client view that it presents, its ability to give us... Um, consistent processes that we can manage and then modify as we need to. So building that out and improving that and rolling that out through more parts of the business, that's a really that's a really important thing for us in the in the months ahead. Um, keeping an eye on generative AI and AI in, in general, I think that's really important because that is moving at such a rapid pace. And I think we all need to be on top of it. So we're really focused on that, watching what that's doing and preparing. We're doing a lot of preparation work to ensure that internally we're we're right to use it without the privacy concerns that, that can come out of it. So a lot of work going on that. Trialing AI with, with some specific use cases. So we want to do that, just see how they go and get some learnings from that. And then we'll just continue to work with the... Um, the hospital, the acute health service that we've got the the data sharing working group with so we can build that framework because I, I mentioned that earlier, that data sharing is really, really important for us to be able to deliver great outcomes for our clients in the longer term, particularly when you put machine learning, AI machine learning on top of the data. So really important for us to do that and then just continue to work through with the Department of Health and others on advocating for the interoperability that we need. And I think there's some of the key things we're going to focus on the next few months. That and plus we'll ne- never drop cybersecurity. Can't never drop that off, please.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Certainly a busy year ahead, no doubt. Noel Toll, Chief Information Officer at DPV Health. Thank you for joining us on CIO Leadership Live today. Thanks, Cathy. Thank you very
1: much.